Hey guys, welcome back to Sarah Says, the weekly podcast with me, Sarah, CEO and Chief Scrunchy Enthusiast, talking about whatever it is that's on my mind. This week, it's the October wrap-up. This is the second podcast of the week. It's a Wednesday. I am rolling through it. Yes, I know, we are in November, but there's only so much I can do at a time, you know? Uh, We have no Hallmark movies to talk about, right? I'm thinking in my head... I mean, there were only a couple of October movies before Christmas started. No. Um, I mean, there are there are plenty of Hallmark movies to talk about, but those are already covered in the Binger Cringe. That's right. We've entered the Christmas season. Uh, so we have the weekly Binger Cringe podcast going up now. I guess those are technically supposed to be the supplemental ones. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't have the time, okay? It's 11 o'clock at night, and I'm recording this before I go out of town for a wedding on top of having 11 Christmas movies. We're good. We're fine. It's everything's fine. We do have six books to talk about, though. Well, five books and one novella. Very excited. I don't know how I did it, but I I read six books, five books and one novella. Um, on top of starting Christmas movies and everything, you know what? And having spooky season. Again, don't ask me how. And now I literally have, literally have a stack of Christmas books that I've been receiving in order to read. So it's fine. Let's get to it. October wrap up, some spooky books, some Christmas books, another stem fish by Allie. <laughs> I think stem fish is my favorite like phrase that I've come up with this year. I mean, she just stem fishes the hell out of us, but that's okay. Like I'm here for it every single time. I will read every single one about super hot, but also super nerdy men who just happen to have extremely big BDE. Well, is that because BDE is so it starts with big 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 I don't know anyway anyway let's get into the reviews okay jumping into this the very first book I read was All I Want for Christmas by Maggie Knox now I want to discuss a few things here I'm sure when I talked about the holiday swap last year I was aware of the fact that Maggie Knox is, in fact, two people like Christina Lauren. (laughs) I hope I did. I somehow forgot that fact again uh, in the time that it took me to read this book. I saw this... Well, so when you start reading a whole bunch of books through a Kindle or you're leaving Amazon reviews, you'll get emails like you just finished this and like here are other books that we thought you might like and so I came across this one because of a Christmas book it might have been um Jenny's latest meet me under the mistletoe and then I just saw a whole bunch of Christmas books so I literally then went to my library app and NetGalley and started requesting all of them And I was so excited to read this one because I absolutely loved the holiday swap last year that they wrote. Uh, I thought that one was so cute. I still think that one's super cute. It had the drama, but also like didn't have the drama in it. It was just a cute little Christmas book. So I requested All I Want for Christmas immediately on NetGalley because I saw it. I received it. So I was able to read an advanced copy and 
guys, I left a one-star review. I just, oh, I just hated this book. I, and I, and then I felt kind of guilty about leaving a one-star review. And I was like trying to be kind in my review of said book because I was, just, I was like, you know, be nice because like you don't write books. But then I was reading you know, like all of the people that had read the book ahead of time. And it's one of the things that I keep talking about with Binger Cringe, where it's kind of like, how did so many people read this book and be like, yes, this is it. To me, this book was two drafts away from being a solid book. The characters were there. The plot line linear was there. The thought was there. But it just was not cohesive for me. And it had the misunderstanding trope littered through this book over and over and over again. And just being willfully obstinate and willfully obtuse and I just think that is the sloppiest writing that you can do. I say this all of the time when it comes to the movies. It's just sloppy writing. It's a cop out at this point. And I am just shocked by how many people read this book and was like, yeah, this is a solid book. Let's go with it. And I, I know that sounds so super harsh and I really don't mean it in that way. Like I, this really truly is the most constructive of criticism because I loved the holiday swap. Couldn't wait to read more Maggie Knox books. And this is, this was just a huge disappointment. I'm just, I'm just so confused by it. So anyway, let's, let's actually like read it out now. Um, oof. A pitch-perfect holiday rom-com about two oil-and-water reality star country singers who must fake a relationship in order to win the opportunity of a lifetime. Perfect for fan of Sally Thorne's The Hating Game and Christina Lauren's In Holidays. Now, you know I love The Hating Game and you know I love In Holidays. Enemies to Lovers, my bread and butter. Give me Enemies to Lovers any day of the week. Give me fake relationship any day of the week. Those obsessed. I love them. So I was like, so this is why I was so pumped. Will they hit the right notes this holiday season? When Sadie and Max are selected as contestants on the famed reality singing show Star Maker, each think they've finally gotten their big Nashville break. But then they're paired up for a duet week and stun the world with their romantic onstage chemistry. With fans going wild for sexy, the network demands that they remain a duo on and off stage or exit the competition faking a relationship until their final performance in the star maker holiday special shouldn't be too hard except for one small problem Sadie and Max can't stand each other but with their dreams just within reach they agree to the ruse will their fake relationship be exposed before they can win or might their phony connection turn real by the Christmas finale I mean they're like this sounds promising. Um, think American Idol. Think, um, see, I like to equate a lot of these to If the Shoe Fits by Julie Murphy, which is 
a retelling of Cinderella. Uh, I am obsessed with that book. I love her retake of Cinderella in modern age, bachelor style. I loved it. Uh, it's And I say this because it's like the behind the scenes kind of story where instead of getting what you see on screen and you're buying into what they're showing you, you could see everything from behind. You could see the nitty gritty. You could see how it all gets put together. Uh, so Sadie and Max, both singers, Max comes from Nashville royalty. His father is a country music legend. And Sadie moved to Nashville with basically two pennies to rub together and is trying to make it work. They met years ago when she was singing, I forget, it's basically like the Bluebird Cafe. If you ever watch Nashville show, they feature the Bluebird, um, which is a real bar. Um, but it's like the place for the up and coming to show up and, and established people uh, to sing. And you know, that's sometimes how they can get noticed. And um, Sadie gets up there to sing, and but she's super nervous. So she sees Max beforehand and he makes this th the comment to her like, oh, you know, I'll be out there watching you and it's going to go great and all this. And in the middle of her singing, he leaves suddenly. And so because of that, she hates him. Yeah. And so years later, when they both end up on this singing competition, it, for different reasons, she's still trying to break in. This is basically her last chance. And he wants to be a singer, but he doesn't want it at the expense of his father's name because he and his father are kind of estranged uh, after his mother's death. Like, he doesn't remember her and he, like, doesn't understand why she hates him so much. And, like, at this point, we don't know why she hates him. We just know that she hates him. So, after a couple of weeks, they get paired together for the duet and they absolutely knock it out of the park. And then both of, like, well, the show publicists and his publicists come together and they're like, hey, we can make this work, but you have to end up being paired up. And so they end up going with it. He, like, meets her grandmother and, like, they have this great performance and, like, it gets down to it where he has to propose to her because they're trying to keep the publicity going post everything, but uh, he doesn't do it. And she's kind of taken aback, even though at this point she's kind of falling for him. She doesn't, like, she doesn't necessarily want him to propose, but like also, you know, she thinks that because he doesn't propose that he all of a sudden doesn't like her, even though he just literally professed his love for her. So, um... They, like, don't really have a chance to talk after they win. And then she gets a call that her grandmother has passed away. We fast forward to this Christmas. So we have last Christmas, this Christmas, and next Christmas. And um, they haven't spoken since that night. But they're contractually obligated to sing a song that they've written together at this holiday special for the show and you they have one month left she's been touring with this other singer uh that she met because of the show 
and uh like that i think that singer was one of the judges or something and like they're really good friends and all of this but everyone kind of thinks that she and max are still together even though they literally have not spoken in the whole year he's been cooped up in his parents canadian house cabin that they have uh i mean, and like i said his mother's passed away but it's a house that his father a cabin that his father had bought for her mother a long time ago his mother a long time ago. So Sadie, who doesn't want to default on the contract and wants to get this done, and she also wants to talk to him, ends up going out to Canada. They end up sleeping together at this point. They share a lot of feelings, go through all this. Everything's going great. You think everything's fine. And then he picks up her phone and sees this message about like, oh, did you convince him to come back from this really shady guy? And then I can't think of his name at this point. But like the whole time, you know, he's just a shady guy who's a predator, basically. And so then they fight again, but they end up going back to Nashville together. And then they remake up again. And, um, like, then he meets her mom because her mom's decided to come into town. And, it, like, everything seems to be going fine. But then, I don't know, there's another misunderstanding. Well, no, there's, like, two more misunderstandings. I don't, I don't even know. It was just, it was so, it was just so tiresome. And then we get to next Christmas, and that's when he, which is basically just the epilogue and and then they're having all of the family come out and to the Canada cabin and he ends up proposing or she proposes to him at the same time that he proposed to, uh, whatever they end up getting engaged at the end of it and it's like a happily ever after and everything I was just I was I just was shaking my head the whole time like it just it, it felt like they both had to be upset with each other in order to keep the book going for page length and the miscommunications. Like at one point he walks in and the really skeezy guy is kissing her because he's assaulting her and Max just walks out even though he's warned her from day one, hey, that guy's really skeezy and you shouldn't be around him. But then he sees that and he's like, oh. I knew they were in a relationship and like, what the, f I was, I was just so genuinely baffled and confused. And after the holiday swap, which was so cute, this was just a huge disappointment. And all, all I could do in my review was be like, you should go read the holiday swap. <laughs> Don't read this one. And yeah, and it deserved that one star, unfortunately. Something in the Air, H-E-I-R, by Suzanne Inok was the second book that I read. It was also an advanced copy book that I got. The good news is, is you can read both of these now. And I had never heard of Suzanne Inok before. So this book, so sometimes I, I feel like I'm having deja vu because one, I swear I already talked about this book. I didn't. I just had to go back and recheck everything. But um, I feel like I've talked about the advanced reader copies before. I'm pretty sure I have. But 
I don't remember when and maybe I haven't. So uh, sometimes I ask for advanced copy books through NetGalley or Valentine PR, uh, which is another one I'm affiliated with, and I'm approved and I get them. And sometimes I just receive emails from um, St. Martin's Press saying, hey, here's this new book coming out and it's within the genre that you like to read. So here's a copy of it. Go read it and review it. Um, and it's not like it, they're like, Sarah, we love the reviews that you do. So please read this book and review it. it it's a form thing sent out. But this was one where they just sent it to me. I think I must have talked about this in the September one because the makeup test was also just sent to me. I didn't request it. Um, so I had never heard of Susanna Knock before, but this book was so funny, so cute, such a different take on marriage of convenience and also like fake relationship at the same time. It was adorable. And as a Regency era style book, as a historical romance, there was absolutely zero spice in it. So I highly recommend this for people that like to read historical romance, but don't really love all of the spiciness of it. Although I feel like those two kind of go hand in hand, the older I get, the weirder it can be sometimes reading a historical romance book because like when it gets to the spicy stuff because sometimes you're just like that's okay that's a little weirdly sad um so this is great because there's none of that for you it's just a funny quick little read and i'm so happy that i received the book and now i can read more by them uh by more by suzanne okay this has one of Publisher Weekly's top 10 romances of the fall. New York Times bestseller Suzanne Anok takes a delightful new path in her joyful historical romance comedy, Something in the Air. That's it. Yeah, it's a historical romantic comedy, not just a historical romance. Um, okay. Oh, do I have to? Okay, there's just like so many bolded things here. Smart, capable heiress Emmeline Pershing will do anything to keep her beloved home. And all it takes is an arranged marriage and a teeny white lie to fulfill her family's silly inheritance rules. But now her little fib means that she and her completely unsuspecting husband are going to inherit big and very messy trouble. Emmeline and William Pershing have enjoyed a perfectly convenient marriage for eight years. Their relationship is a seamless blend of their talents and goals. They've settled into separate, well-ordered lives beneath the same roof and are content to stay that way, or so Emmeline thinks. And if William has secretly longed for a bit more from the woman he adores, he's managed to be content with her supreme skills as a hostess and planner, which has helped him advance his career. Then, when Emmeline's grandfather, the reclusive Duke of Welshire, summons them both for his birthday celebration and demands they bring their two little angelic children, William is stunned to discover that his very proper wife invented not one, but two heirs to fulfill the agreement for living at Winover. But surely, if Emmeline and William t team up and borrow two cherubs to call their own, what could go wrong? Enter George, age eight, and Rose, five, the two most unruly orphans in Britain. As the 
it, as the insanity unfolds, their careful professional arrangement takes some surprisingly intimate turns as well. Perhaps it takes a bit of madness to create the perfectly happily ever after. <clears throat> I thought this book was so funny, new, and different. I also love Marriage of Convenience. Like, and Marriage of Convenience, honestly really stays, I think, more so in the historical romance genre, the Regency era sort of genre. There are, I feel like if it's new age, it's more so for like Henry and Teddy getting married in Grey's Anatomy so that he could get her medical benefits or that Purple Hearts movie with um, Sophia Carson. And I don't know the actor's name, uh, so that she could get the medical benefits. <laughs> that's what, oh my God, that's not even funny. That's literally the most unfunny thing possible. Like marriage of convenience in today's society is so that people can get health benefits. Back in the day, it was, you know, like, so you weren't a burden to your parents anymore, a la Charlotte. I'm 27 years old. I'm a burden to my parents. I have no money and no prospects. And I'm frightened. So, you know, don't judge her, Lizzie. Uh, I need to watch Pride and Prejudice again. Anyway, Emmy, we start the book off, is in her first season. She's just been debuted. And she's learned that her parents are giving up win over estate where she's grown up because they say it's too much for them. And the rules state from her reclusive uncle of he's the Duke that the person that will inherit it is like the next person to get married will be the one to inherit it. And you can stay there for five years and within those five years, you have to have an heir. If you do not have a male heir, you, well, I don't know if it has to be a male heir. I don't know if that was stated. You just, you have to have an heir. And if you don't, you gotta move. So Emmy, it, she's just been introduced into society. It's her first season. So she's like, oh my God, it's too late for me. And she has a cousin, I think the name is Isabel, um, who is engaged. So she was like, okay, well, thanks mom and dad for saying this now, like, because now it's going to go to her and she's horrible. Like she's horrid. Uh, so, you know, thanks. Thanks a lot. This is just what I always wanted. Uh, it cause she loves the estate. She goes into the ballroom and spots her friend, Will, William and sits down next to him and they're talking and then she basically says hey let's get married we're friends we like each other you know it doesn't have to be anything else other than that you want to be a politician i want to keep my childhood home and went over is closer to london you know and versus your estate and you know what are we waiting for let's just get married he's in love with her. <laughs> but he's like, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> if you say. And then we pick the book up eight years later. They live these very parallel lives. They're very content. 
they tried maybe two times to have a baby, aka they've only had sex twice. (laughs) And she's just very shy about it and, like, was just very more so flustered. And so then he just was like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push anything. But he's in love with her. And he's just opened up this letter from the Duke, like, hey, can't wait to see you at my 70th birthday party. Bring your two kids. And he's like, what are they? No, sorry. He doesn't read the letter. She reads the letter first. And then she has to tell him. And she's like, so, like, we've been invited to this party. He's like, okay. And she's like, well, no, it's actually not okay. Because I kind of maybe said that we had a child. And he's like, what? She goes, well, it's been eight years. Like, you knew the rule. We had to have an heir within five years. And that didn't happen. And he goes, well, yeah, I knew that. But I guess I just thought that he relaxed the rule. She's like, no, no. No, I just kind of wrote that, like, we had a, a child. And then like, it went so well that I kind of said that we had a second one. And he's like, okay, we have two kids. And she's like, well, cousin Isabel was writing about her children and she was so snooty about it that I just kind of threw in that we had a second one. And he's like, all right, so what can we do to fix this? Because I know how much you love this home. You know, it's very beneficial for me to be here as well. So what do we have to do? You know, like I'm your partner. I'm your husband. I vowed to do this to help you keep your home. So let's do it. And they come up with will rent children from the orphanage (laughs) after like none of their friends will give them their kids with like very little backstory aka no backstory into why they need to borrow two children for a month and um they're like we'll just kind of rent two kids from an orphanage and give them some life lessons maybe give them some money on the side help them along the way maybe they can become servants then or ladies maids one day and like it'll be good I'll be fine and then we'll just give them back to the orphanage and so they get George and Rose these sisters at this orphanage are kind of like no they can have them and like oh yeah they're great and everything you can just tell like it all hell's about to break loose so George and Rose they get back to the countryside because they have to basically learn you know how to be the kids and turns out they're huge into pickpocketing. They try to run away. <laughs> Will has people stationed outside the windows so that they can't run away anymore. The whole household staff get involved in this. And then their very sketchy older brother comes to collect them, aka, like, in quotes, collect them, aka blackmail Will and Emmy. This whole time, Will and Emmy grow closer. There's also this, like, secondary love story between um, the um, her lady's maid and the um, stable guy. And it's just, like, there's... We, we kind of get all of these little backstories, too, with everyone else. And, like, everyone's just so involved in helping them because... They're just really good people. And like, and then it comes out that, you know, George and Rose don't want to leave and um, they definitely don't want to go back to the orphanage, but they don't want to be adopted by anyone else. Like they want to stay with Emmy and Will. And it was just so super cute. I read it 
in one day. I stayed up until like 2 a.m. two nights in a row to read these books uh, before my advanced copies were up. And this one just was so funny, so bubbly. I was just laughing the whole time. This is, again, I call sort of a new age style of historical romance where it's just not as stuffy and as proper about everything. But I also enjoy that. Like, it doesn't bother me the lack of historical rightness. I know there's another word for that, but I can't think of it at the current moment in time. Um, so yeah, I, I super enjoyed this one. If you like Regency era books, I think you'd really get a kick out of it. And like I said, there's no spice whatsoever. It's mentioned, but not, it's not graphic in any way, shape or form. So it's also perfect for like, th like this would be a book that like a 14, 15 year old could read. Like this is something that I would pick up from the library as 14, 15 year old, whatever, reading through the fiction section. Um, And like as a parent, it would be totally fine. So anyway, highly recommend. Once the new year starts and everything dies down again, I can't wait to pick up more from Suzanne. Isn't It Romantic by Lissa K. Adams was the next book that I made it through. I am finally caught up on the romance book club. Although, no, I mean, not technically because Colton and Gretchen's story just came out with a uh, very merry bromance, but um, I was so looking forward to, okay, hold on. I'm trying, isn't it romantic? Uh, there we go. I was so looking forward to the Russian story, Vlad's, um, because I love his character in the book series. And when I got to the end, Lissa talked about how she had never even planned to give him a story. But then I guess fans were asking for it. And then she was so happy that she did. This book, yeah, I haven't even, have I said it with the other ones? 352 pages. That's apparently like the page length. Something in the air was also 352 pages. And I feel like all I went for Christmas was 352 pages. This originally came out last July. Uh, but I just, I, now I'm all caught up. I'm so excited. And I hope, hope, hope there's going to be another one after the Christmas one. I hope Colton is not the last one. Otherwise, I'll just be revisiting this series because this is truly one of the funniest, most lighthearted, yet also deeply personal and relatable book series that could ever be written. Okay. Elena Konnikova has lived her entire adult life in the shadows. As the daughter of a Russian journalist who mysteriously disappeared, she escaped danger the only way she knew how. She married her childhood friend, Vladimir, and moved to the United States, where he's a professional hockey player in Nashville. Vlad, a.k.a. the Russian, thought he could be content with his marriage of convenience, but it's become too difficult to continue in a one-sided relationship. He joined the Bromance Book Club to learn how to make his wife love him, but all he's learned is that he deserves more. He's ready to create his own sweeping romance, both on and off the page. The bros are unwilling to let Vlad forego true love, and this time they're not operating solo. They join forces with Vlad's neighbors, a group of meddling widows who call themselves the loners. But just when things finally look promising, Elena's past life intrudes and their happily ever after is cast into doubt. Vlad is honestly such a 
Labrador energy man. Every single time, like when it gets to it and they start running, he's like, it's grand gesture. And it's like, it's grand. Like we always run for grand gesture. We know from these other stories that Vlad has lactose intolerance problems, lots of bathroom issues. And it actually opens up very vulnerable because he's finally figured out how to control all of that. And he talks about how embarrassing all of that is. And like, he loves the bromance club. He thinks of them as his brothers. And, you know, he feels really bad because he's never been totally honest with them because he's told them that he's married, but never, you know, that it's not a happy marriage, that it was marriage of convenience, that she's not even there, so on and so forth and so forth, et cetera, et cetera. So he, in, uh, living, so, okay, so I, I need to make sure I don't mess this up. In Noah's book, crazy stupid bromance, um, we get Liv and Mac's wedding. And throughout Noah's book, Colton, who's a friend and he's a country music singer, uh, keeps asking Noah, like, I don't, or we, he's like, I don't think Vlad's really married. Like, have you ever seen his wife? Has she ever been around anything? Like, I don't think she's real. I don't think she exists. And the whole time, Noah's like, well, you know, what does it even matter? Like, I don't even understand, you know, what's going on. And so when it gets to the end of Crazy, Crazy Stupid Bromance at the wedding and she shows up, Colton's like, holy, like, I can't believe it. She actually is real. That's where that leaves. And then we pick up, isn't it bromantic? Vlad is so happy she's there because he's like, oh my gosh, she wants to make it work too. Because he's apparently told her, I want a real marriage. And if you don't want that, I want a divorce. And so she shows up to the wedding. So he's so excited. And then she says, this was a mistake. I, I think we should get a divorce. And he kind of just downward spirals, kind of stops talking to everyone. He hangs out with Colton every once in a while, but stops going to book club and all of this. And like, they know he's in a bad way. So we pick it up with that. And he like, he was going to this black market cheese seller who, to be honest, I thought the cheese man was going to be bad. He wasn't. Uh, that actually really shocked me. Like, somehow I thought he was going to be the bad guy, but he wasn't. And that just goes to show, like, it's always the people you don't expect. And um, then he's the hockey player. And so the team has made it into the Stanley Cup for the first time, I think, ever, or, like, at least in a really long time. And so he's playing, and he ends up breaking his leg. Elena hears about this, like, the manager one of the people from the hockey team calls her and he's like, Vlad's going to need you. Can you be here? Or do we need to depend on someone else? And she says, no, I'll be there. So she gets on a flight, shows up there and Vlad's like, you know, what are you doing here? He's hopped up on all these pain meds and everything. And she's like, I want to be here. I want to help you. I feel like I owe this to you. And he's like, well, don't stay because you owe me, like you don't owe me anything. And so she again plans to leave 
she goes to his house to try and get things prepped before he comes home. And then she's accosted by the loners. Oh, man. And they're like, oh, you're the one that broke her heart. Just one of them is like, oh, you're the one that broke his heart. Like, good riddance. Get out of here. Goodbye. (laughs) But then she ends up being like, no, you know what? I'm staying. And like, she didn't realize he was gluten free. But all of the men show back up to help him out. And, uh, like, because he has to call, and he's like, can you come help me bathe? And they're like, well, he calls Colton, and Colton's like, okay, but, like, isn't your wife there? And he's like, she's, like, I need help. And then he's like, fine, we'll show up to wash your ass, but then you're going to tell us everything. (laughs) So all the men show up, they all have to help him. Oh my god, this is so sweet. So they all show off to help him, and he's in the bathroom, and they're, he's like, I have now, you turn around. And so, like, they all turn around, but they're like, your ass, like, you can bounce quarters off of it. And he's like, why you bounce quarters? Like, why would you bounce quarters off this? Like, I don't understand. And he's like, I'm hockey player. This is what we have. This is what we're good with. <laughs> so anyway, they're all like, Okay, explain yourself. Like, once they get him back into bed, they're like, explain yourself. Your wife is here. Why are you calling us to come help you bathe? And he's like, she's never seen me naked. Complete silence. So, like, what? And he's like, I didn't know how to say any of this. Like, I'm a virgin. It was a marriage of convenience. I was trying to help her out. She needed out of Russia. I've always been in love with her. And, like, I thought when we got here, everything would be great. But then she wanted to go to school and leave. And so I let her because that's what my mother said I should do. And then, you know, I joined the book club for help. And, you know, I told her I want to try. And then she said she wanted a divorce. And Gavin, who was the very first... This is where it all starts with Bromance Book Club because Thea asked for a divorce. I am not going to cry about this, but he looks at Vlad and he says, like, I would be divorced if it weren't for you guys. Like, I would do anything to help you and your marriage. And like, because they take it really personally that Vlad just didn't share any of this and Gavin's like, do you think for an instant that I would judge you for any of this? Like, I almost ended up divorced before you guys. And like, I would do anything to help you. Like, the support that these men have. Oh, it's so heartwarming. So anyway, they come to find out that he's been writing his own book, his own love story. And so they're like, that's it. (laughs) Like, we're going to help you finish this book. Like, if if you won't let us help you with your marriage, we're going to help you finish this book. So they all, like, get copies of it. They're all, they photocopy it. They're all reading it. They meet up for the club. I took a screen, or, like, I, yeah, I took a shot of this page because I was dying. So they're talking about how they, like, the people in the book still haven't kissed yet. And, uh, it says, it's not the right time for him to kiss her, Vlad finally said, answering Colton's question. Uh, it's always the right time for kissing, Colton snorted. Mac nodded. It's true, man. Nothing beats the first kiss scene. Jan clutched his hands to his chest, especially if it's one of those passionate, almost angry kinds of kisses, like they just can't control themselves kinds of kisses. Mac nodded. 
Yeah, I love a good spontaneous angry kiss in a book. He made a little growl noise and shuddered. Gets me all worked up. Del sighed. I'm sorry, but nothing beats the soft, tender forehead kiss. It's like the real feelings are coming out then. Gets you right here. Every time. He pressed his hand to his breastbone. Okay, but what about the almost kiss, Gavin said. I love an almost kiss. Noah got a dreamy look on his face. The staring at the lips thing? Damn, sexy as hell. Tony should have at least stared at her lips or something. He needs to, like, notice her, Jan said. <laughs> like, oh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a group of men sitting around talking about their favorite kiss trope? Oh my god, I am obsessed with this series. So they help Vlad finish his book. Between the wives and the men and Vlad himself, like they all work to get him and Elena back together and the loners. Like it's all it's all a concerted effort here. And um yeah, we come out to find how her father died and all of this. Like I don't want to give that away because I was kind of thinking if it wasn't the cheese man, I had one other suspicion and, but that wasn't my original suspicion. So I was kind of right, but also kind of not right. Um, but yeah, like she and Vlad end up together and like, it's just really cute. And like, they have this whole discussion too about like condoms and like how it's not pathetic that he's waited for her and everything and like Mac is like I don't even remember like who my first time was with like I remember it was fast and awkward but like I don't even remember who it was and like Dell goes on about how you like women are encouraged to keep their virginity but like men are supposed to shed it super early in life and it's just (laughs) this series is just so sweet. It is so everything. Oh, it was so cute. And, um, yeah, it just really, really, we've had two little, like, the Colton Gretchen pipeline has been there. And now I can't wait. I have, I have Very Merry Bromance on reserve so many places, but if I don't get it soon, I will just end up buying it to read it because I love this series so much. Like, I just want to own this series anyway. But, um, yeah, these books, like I've said, if men read more romance books and went to therapy, we'd all be in a better place. If I were running for president, that would be my campaign slogan. Read this book. Read this series. I'm telling you, you're not going to regret it. The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana was next. I saw this book. Uh, Martha Waters had talked about it and someone else had talked about it too. And I was really trying to get some spooky vibe books in for the month of October, you know. And and again, it was not spooky vibes. Like I had the Dead Romantics, this one, and then I had the Kiss Curse, which we're going to talk about, uh, which is the follow-up to the X-Hex. And, um, like, again, I'm I'm very pleased with my quote-unquote spooky reads that I decided to read uh, in September and October. But um, this is just, like, a cozy... Uh, Martha said it really well. Like, it's just a cozy, warm hug. Like, you get, you get magic. You get the British countryside. Like, 
it's just you want to curl up and read it when it's rainy outside like on a nice fall day the leaves falling down like oh I but again it's like not set at fall time and you could read it anytime you know like <laughs> I don't know it involves magic and witches so like to us we're like autumn it's an autumn read 336 pages came out August 23rd of this year it reads as one of the few witches in Britain, Mika Moon knows she has to hide her magic, keep her head down, and stay away from other witches so their powers don't mingle and draw attention. And as an orphan who lost her parent at a, parents at a young age and was raised by strangers, she's used to being alone and she follows the rules. With one exception, an online account where she posts videos in quotes, pretending to be a witch. She thinks no one will take it seriously, but someone does. An unexpected message arrives, begging her to travel to the remote, mysterious nowhere house to teach three young witches how to control their magic. It breaks all of the rules, but Mika goes anyway, and is immediately tangled up in the lives and secrets of not only three children, her Sorry, not only her three charges, but also an absent archaeologist, a retired actor, two long-suffering caretakers, and... Jamie, the handsome and prickly librarian of Nowhere House, would do anything to protect the children, and as far as he's concerned, a stranger like Mika is a threat, an irritatingly appealing threat. As Mika begins to find her place at Nowhere House, the thought of belonging somewhere begins to feel like a real possibility, but magic isn't the only danger in the world, and when peril comes knocking at their door, Mika will need to decide whether to risk everything to protect a found family she didn't know she was looking for. And that was like, right at the end, that was a tongue twister, felt like it. So, this book, yeah, the <laughs> a hug in book form, right. Uh, this is a hug in book form. It's wonderfully cozy and full of diverse characters with all the found family feels you could hope for. Yes, I was just looking th through because I wanted to get everyone's names again and I didn't write them all down. Darn it, what were the children's names? Because they all have... Oh, shoot. I'm not gonna... Give me the names! <laughs> okay, Lucy and Ian. Right, right, right. What was Ian's husband's name? Ken. Ken? Yeah, I think Ken. Okay, but who are you? The children's names. Where are they? And I can't talk and try and read at the same time. That's about the only two things that I cannot do. Literally, they're talking about every. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I was like, everyone's naming everyone else but these children. So we have uh, Altamira, Terracotta, and Rosetta. So Mika, we start off, she's. They have this secret society of witch meetings and she's there, you know, doing her thing and is reflecting, one, that they're doing this in a rainy, abandoned dock. <laughs> she's like, really? We can't meet anywhere else. And it just sort of, there's this overall theme of how she's always been alone in the world. And when she gets back, she receives this message to come to the snowware house because someone's seen her YouTube videos 
of which she's constantly like, no one, no one's going to think I'm a witch. No one's going to get it. Uh, but Ian does. Turns out because Ian's mom was a witch. And there's this whole thing about mothers of witches die at a very young age. So then it's up to other witches to raise the witches. <laughs> and it was just like a witch, witches, witch situation going on. Um, and so that was the case for Mika. She was raised by... I'm not going to get her name in here. And it, it starts with a P and darn it. I There were literally so many names in this book. Uh, but she had nannies and stuff just raising her. And so, and she moves like every six months and everything. So she shows up to this interview basically because she knew that she needed a job and a place to stay. So that's why she ended up going to the Nowhere House. And realizes like oh my god they have three witches three children witches um like young it was like 10 7 and 5 or something like that uh 10 9 and 7 something and they aren't actually sisters but they have been raised together and the owner of the house is not there and she's also a witch and she's put up this like, system, force field, basically, around the house, so outsiders, muggles, no one uses that word, like, you can't, I'm sure it's trademarked, but, um, the muggles don't know about it. However, you have Lucy and Jamie and Ken, I'm, I'm pretty fairly certain Ian's husband's name is Ken, um, they're all there, and they take care of the girls, they've been doing all this, but they need someone to help the girls for the next six weeks because they have this lawyer guy coming out um, to assess things going on for the will and the estate. And she's like, I just don't know about this. Like, I mean, my God, witches can't even be raised together in the same place. And they're like, no, this is like, this is it. This is what she wanted. This is what we got to do. We just need your help. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll think about it. She ends up taking the job, comes back, Jamie was the one totally against it the whole time. But uh, immediately you can tell that there are sparks there. And Rosetta, the oldest, wants nothing to do with her. But like hijinks, magical things happen. And the girls come to realize, especially Rosetta, comes to realize that Miko really is there to help them. And... Mika and Jamie have to come to this understanding because she basically says, look, you don't have to like me, but you have to not hate me in front of the girls because Rosetta definitely sees it. And like, if, it, if we're going to get anywhere, she has to trust me. And it's like the whole time, like, nah, he doesn't, he doesn't hate you at all. He's actually like really, really likes you, but he has his own secrets. In fact, they all do. And I don't want to talk about it because it got to the end. Like, there's this whole thing. You get all the way to the end. You're like, What? Primrose. That was the woman that, that was the witch woman that raised her. What was the, Lillian? I think it's Lillian. No. Pretty sure it started with an L. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, it does, but also doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, this book, like I said, like, it's just, it's in the descriptions of things. It's just, 
the setting of everything and like the relationships. It's so cozy. It really is a hug in a book. The ending, the epilogue. Oh, I love a good epilogue. This epilogue was so, so sweet. I just, yeah, I was laughing. It was one of the books that like, sometimes I'll really enjoy a book. So I read it really slow because I don't want it to end because I just enjoy it. And this was that book for me. Like I wanted to get through it. And at the same time, I was like, I'm just enjoying this because this is just a nice, fun, leisurely read. So yeah, I know we're in November now, but again, this is very practical magic where it involves witches and magic and stuff, but you could read it anytime because this actually goes to Christmas. So technically, this is kind of more of a Christmas book <laughs> in, a, in a way, but it does involve going around through Christmas time, winter solstice and Christmas. So anyway, I highly recommend you should read this book. Like I said, I read five books and one novella, Below Zero by Allie Hazelwood was the one novella that I read. I, it, look, I'm making up for lost time because of the love hypothesis. The, no, yeah. Um, and because, you know, I, I put off reading that one last year. So I was like, absolutely not. I will not be making the same mistake again. So start reading all of the Allie Hazelwood things that I can read. And now it's so funny because she's shown up as the blurb for two books that I've just recently read. So, um, like, good for me, because otherwise I really would have been like, man, everyone really talks about Allie Hazelwood all the time here. Okay, well, where's my little, oh, there's my book description. Okay. Uh, 139 pages came out July 5th of this year. It reads, um, Steminist novella. I love that. I like to call it stem fishing. We officially get stem fished all the time. <clears throat> it reads, it will take the frosty terrain of the Arctic to show these rival scientists that their chemistry burns hot. Maria, Sadie, and Hannah are friends for scientists always. Though their fields of study might take them to different corners of the world, they can all agree on this universal truth. When it comes to love and science, opposites attract and rivals make you burn. Hannah's got a bad feeling about this. Not only has the NASA aerospace engineer found herself injured and stranded at a remote Arctic research station, but that one person willing to undertake the hazardous rescue mission is her longtime rival. <clears throat> Ian has been many things to Hannah. The villain who tried to veto her expedition and ruin her career. The man who stars in her most deliciously lurid dreams. But he's never played the hero. So why is he risking everything to be here? And why does his presence seem just as dangerous to her heart as the coming snowstorm? To read Mara and Sadie's stories, look at novellas under one roof and stuck with you. Yes! I didn't realize they got their own Yes! Uh, I mean, I knew there were other novellas, but I didn't know it was about Mara and Sadie. That is so exciting. I wonder if I was reading these out of order then, because they both show up with guys. Um, okay, what is this first review? Excuse me. 
wishing I could get my money back. This is my second attempt at Allie Hazelwood, and I have to say that her writing is just not for me. I previously read most of The Love Hypothesis. I gave up on that story about halfway through at the bizarre and tedious, oh no, I have way too much sunscreen lotion on my hands. I'm going to go through an inexplicable series of serious, it's supposed to be serious, of solutions only to be shouted down by my weird friends who are apparently adamant that no drop of sunscreen be wasted. Guess I'll just have to rub it on this conveniently half-naked man I'm fake dating. I could not roll my eyes hard enough at that scene. Okay, well, seems like you're really taking it out on something completely different from that. Anyway, okay. Odd first review there. But, um... It's like someone's obviously not happy. I love being stem fished uh, by Allie Hazelwood and I will continue to be because I will be adding in these other novellas here, Stuck With You and Under One Roof. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. So Hannah is working at NASA. Again, we have another NASA one. I had to immediately look it up because I was like, wait, is was someone mentioned here from Love on the Brain? Because that's also NASA. But um while in grad school, she becomes friends with Mara and Sadie. And she's in this grad school class where they have to interview someone. What is it? It was like water resource, whatever. But the thing was like, interview someone in the field of study that you want to be in. And so Mara goes, oh, I actually have a cousin like, he's kind of a distant kind of cousin, whatever. But I have this cousin who works at NASA um, and worked, like, with the Mars rover and stuff. Like, you know, would you want to talk to him? And Hannah's like, uh, yeah, absolutely. So he ends up agreeing to this and they meet up. And you can just tell immediately. I mean, there's 139 pages. So you don't have a lot to work with here. You know what I mean? And so you can tell immediately, like, that he's like, just, like, completely taken by her. And she's just a ball of fire. And she's like, okay, well, like, what would you rather be doing than be sitting here? And he's like, well, you know, I've actually been working on this at, like, what, JPL, whatever. And she goes, okay, well, let's go. And he's like, what? And she goes, like, we can talk about this and you can do your work and maybe I can help you or, like, see what's going on. And uh, she tells him, you know, growing up, I really wasn't that smart, didn't really apply myself, but when I saw the rover on Mars, like, that was it for me. And so then I did everything I could to get to this place where I'm going to apply and try to work with NASA. They end up hooking up. They don't go all the, they don't go all the way, basically, but not all the way, um, in the lab. And then he says, do you want to go to dinner with me? And she goes, no, I don't really do that. But like, if you want me to come home with you, I'll do that. And he's like, no, I want dinner. And she's like, uh, okay, well, like, if you ever change your mind, and he's like, okay, well, if you ever change your mind, I'm here. We skip forward a couple of years and she's officially working for NASA and he shows up and he's like, I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you because she got like the hardest placement to get into. He's like, I'm so proud of you. And someone's like, oh, I didn't realize you guys were together. And they're like, oh, no, no. Like we just met once, had a thing, whatever, like no big deal, no biggie. And um, then he goes off like on a mission of sorts, whatever, not like 
military kind of mission, but just he's off working and she's doing her thing. And then um, she finds out that he has vetoed this idea to go to Svalbard, uh, which I know of because of TikTok. So I thought that was so funny um, to work on rover things because Svalbard has the thing at like has the train and weather closest to Mars. And the person that's told her, you know, oh, well, like, I really shouldn't be saying this to you and don't say anything. I'm like, girl, he's, he's sleazy. Come on. Uh, is that Ian did it. And so she confronts Ian and Ian's like, it's not safe. It's incredibly dangerous that time of year. That guy will put his scientists in the worst sort of scenarios to get results and I don't want you to do this. And she's like, well, you know what? It's happening anyway because he secured other money. Ian is livid. And so he tries to go about like getting it canceled, but he can't. So anyway, where this originally starts, she's fallen down a crevice, I think. Um, You would think that I would know this because of Sarah Morgenthaler's Alaska series because of like Easton. You know, I really did get Easton Mountain Man vibes out of Ian in this one. Maybe that was another reason why I loved it. It's too bad this wasn't the last thing I read. Start the year and end the year with mountain men saving women from crevasses. Um, anyway, is it crevasse or crevasse? Anyway. Um, and so, and she's like, wait, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm coming here to rescue. And she's like, wait, like, you're not supposed to to be how you're here. And, and that's how then we get all the backstory stuff. So then he, he ends up saving her, uh, cause she would have died otherwise, cause no one else was coming out to get her. And she's like, wait, you're not even wearing NASA gear. Like what's going on? He takes her back to his boat and she's like, why, why are you on a boat? Like what's going on? And he's like, I had vacation time and I wanted to use it. And she's like, when did you get here? And he's like, four days ago. And she's like, that's a day earlier than we got here. Like, you've just been here waiting, basically. And she's like, okay, you can tell me you told me so. And he's like, no, like, you don't understand. Like, bad things have happened to other scientists because of this man. And, like, you were too important to me for anything to happen. So, like, I had to be here. (sighs) I mean, I know, I know, I know the bar is set in hell, but... (laughs) The biggest BDE energy. I just, I, I like, I will be, happily be stemfished any day of the week by Allie Hazelwood. A pretty spicy novella, probably the spiciest novella I've ever read. Mm. Wait a minute. Let me, let me relook up window shopping really quick by Tessa Bailey. Because I read that last year and I was like, wow. Like at that point I had known Tessa Bailey was a spicy writer because remember how shocked I was that it happened one summer? (laughs) Okay. No, Tessa Bailey is 258 pages. So yeah. So for 139 pages, yeah, pretty spicy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like I knew that walking into it because of Allie Hazelwood. And yeah, like I said, I'd do it again. And I will. I will do it again. Um, 
yeah, thought it was super cute. Read it in a couple of hours at two hours, whatever. Five, five and a half books is what I'm calling it. Rounding out the podcast, I read The Kiss Curse by Aaron Sterling. This is the sequel to The X-Hex. Last year, I got The X-Hex literally like October 28th. I'm like, I will finish this by October 31st. And I did. finished it that day. I could have finished The Kiss Curse on October 31st. Technically, I did finish this on November 1st, but we're putting it in October. And this, hell, this actually even didn't make it to Halloween. I tried so hard. I mean, I was just excited to read this one because I did like the X-Hex. I gave that one four out of five because it was missing something. I haven't reread it, but I I still don't know that I could put my finger on what exactly the X-Hex was missing for me, but there was something missing in it. The Kiss Curse, though, may have made up whatever was missing in the X-Hex between Reese and Vivi. And also, though, like, I really thoroughly enjoyed this one. This one is a five star for me versus the X-Hex, which, again, I did, I did enjoy that book, but I just remember thinking that there was something missing and I couldn't pinpoint it. But I thoroughly enjoyed how much Reese and Vivi we got in this one. And then the whole Wells and um, Gwen. I just, uh, loved it. And now the way they ended this one, they didn't, not they, the way Aaron ended it. She didn't end it necessarily on a cliffhanger. But, like, I, I need to know what Bowen does. If you know, you know. Like, there's, he's, he says he's going to take care of it. What, how? I need him to come back. I need, I need to know. I don't know. Like, is there going to be a third book? I, I, I just feel like there's no way Bowen can do this by himself and Reese and Wells are also going to get drawn into it. Who who could we end up, who could Bowen end up with? I don't know. One of the baby witches? No, probably not. They're probably too young. I don't know. Who could Bowen end up with from, I don't know, an unnamed person that we haven't met yet. I don't care, but I... I need to know. I just feel like it's unresolved now. 320 pages came out September 20th of this year. It reads, um, okay. Gwen Jones is perfectly happy with her life in Graves Glen. She, her mom, and her cousin have formed a new and powerful coven. She's running a successful witchcraft shop, something wicked, and she started mentoring some of the younger witches in town. As Halloween approaches, there's only one problem. How, you know what? I never looked it up. How do you say the name? I think it's Lewin. It, that's probably not it. But we're going with it because it's 1223 now in the morning and I want to finish this so I can go to bed. Wells. Pinhallow. <laughs> I really do need to look up how you say that name though because I think it's Lewin. Lu. See, the more I look at it, it makes it a tongue twister. It's L-L-E. W-E-L-L-Y-N. It's Welsh. So it's probably not even close to that. Because 
well, no, I guess that's not Welsh. I'm thinking, I'm thinking Scottish. Samantha Young, she has the whole series, the, the Ardnock family, the Adair family series. God. And, um, my favorite name, like I personally, I have to marry a Scottish man now so that I have a reason to have a daughter. I mean, I need to do this like kind of quick at this point, but, uh, is so that I can name her Ale, but it's E I L E I L I D G H. Like, no one in America would get that. But I just love the Ale. Oh, it's so pretty. Anyway, okay. Um, that was an aside. Wells has come to Graves Glen to reestablish his family's connection to the town that founded, they founded as well as to make a new life for himself after years of being the dutiful son in Wales. When he opens up a shop of his own, Pinhallows, just across the street from Something Wicked, he quickly learns he's gotten more than he bargained for in going up against Gwen. When their professional competition leads to a very personal and very hot kiss, both Wells and Gwen are determined to stay away from each other, convinced the kiss was just a magical fluke. But when a mysterious new coven of witches comes to town and Gwen's power began fading, powers begin fading, she and Wells must work together to figure out just what these new witches want and how to restore Gwen's magic before it's too late. This book was just, it had everything for me. We get to go back to uh, Graves Glen in Georgia. We are once again approaching the Halloween season. Um, Reese and Vivi are finally getting ready to go on their honeymoon. Gwen is living her best life there. She's now single. She's broken up with the mayor, Jane. Or Jane's broken up with her, one or the other. And then Wells shows up. Uh, He's come into town. His father, Simon, has gone to him, like, very sadly. And uh, said, like, oh, you know, maybe it's time to give it up. I don't know. And Wells says, maybe I should go to Graves Glen. Like, maybe, maybe I should go. Um, and just, you know, check in on everything. He and Reese kind of get along, kind of don't. Um, I mean, a lot of brotherly teasing and stuff. But um, they are close-ish because of the first book. And so Wells packs it up and just, boom, shows up in Georgia. And is like, I'm going to open up a shop here. He and Gwen instantly hate each other well Gwen's very much upset with him because he didn't show up to the wedding and I mean she just like really took that personally and uh Reese is like it's fine like I wasn't even a big deal to me and Gwen's like it's a big deal to me it's a big deal to me uh so leading up to Reese and Vivi leaving Gwen and Wells have this like back and forth it's an enemies to lovers going on here and Reese and Vivi are like, like, you're going to be okay with us going on our honeymoon, right? And they're both like, yeah, it's fine. We'll have a truce. Everything will be fine. It's no big. As soon as Reese and Vivi leave, they, they've already kissed because they thought they were under a love spell. They weren't. It was bath. It was bath salts. <laughs> but, um, uh, which Reese, like, endlessly gets a kick out of. And then... They end up at this party together for Morgan, this witch that's returned that went to college with them, 
at the college there and Pinhaven. And um, they go and they see some pretty bad things, some pretty dark things. And they're like, uh, what's going on? Like, hmm, that's weird. Oh my God, what is that? <laughs> Sorry, TikTok runs my life now. Uh, so, <laughs> so they leave and when they have to like fake, in quotes, fake kiss again uh, to escape out. And Gwen makes this big show of everything. And Wells is like, well, the first time was actually, um, that, that actually wasn't a spell after all. And that totally throws her but they are like okay well we have to work together and figure out what's going on because there's something very not right going on in this house can't figure it out Gwen's magic starts to fade and she's like it's Morgan it's got to do something with her and they team up and she has these three baby witches from the college that are there helping out and um yeah while they they um, yeah, they hook up in the back of her truck at the top of Graves Glen, overlooking everything at night. And <laughs> once again, I was just reminded of the TikTok where this girl was like, guys, when you say sit on my face, what do you mean? And like, guys were stitching it. Like, they were like, we mean sit on our face, like suffocate us. And all th That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, I, I feel like this book was a little bit steamier than the X-Hex. Because people were making a big thing about the X-Hex being spicy. And I was like, mm, would we call this spicy? Would we? I mean, like one scene, maybe two, maybe it was two. I'm like, would we though? Would we call that spicy? This one, definitely spicier. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely that. But I love Wells. Um, so, yeah, like, it just, I don't want to give away because I, you know, you know, I go to the back of the books a lot. I, I will read the back of the book at any point in time because either like I want to know what happens before I even start it or I get halfway through and I'm like, oh my God, I need to know. Um, I did not. And so... I was like, it was, it was a little shocking what transpires towards the end of the book and like why Gwen is losing her magic. The baby witches figure it out. And um, yeah, and that leads to this kind of unresolved ending between the brothers. They're all, they, they, like, they're fine. But um yeah, Reese and Vivi show back up. Elaine, Gwen's mom shows back up, um, like ahead of time. And <laughs> Wells is like, you know what? I think you and Vivi should go on a longer, more extended honeymoon, maybe to the actual moon. And Reese is like, and miss all of this? Never. <laughs> but like Reese and Vivi, they were so super cute. Like they're just like a lovey-dovey newlywed couple. Like after, you know, they had to through a literal curse from the XX. <laughs> from literal hex. Um, yeah, we got Sir Per Sir Percival again. And yeah. I just I loved it. it. 
all, the spooky-ish kind of books that I read just all kind of reminded me of Practical Magic and those are the vibes that I love. So, um, yeah, but I mean, like I will say it was, it was kind of spicy, but, uh, I don't know, but it was cute. It was another fast read for me and maybe put it on your list for next Halloween. Cause like for me now that has passed. I'm in Christmas mode fully now. Like give me a Thanksgiving book. Sure. Fine. But like, otherwise Christmas, I don't want to read any more spooky ish kind of book. Do you know what I mean? Those got to wait till next year now, like next August, I'll pick them up again. That is it. We made it through the October wrap up. I officially made it through two podcasts this week. Woo! We are making it. I, oh, this podcast has been a journey this year. We're not even at the end of the year yet. I should really save this until the end of the year. But um, yeah, had had fewer podcasts this year than last year. But um, yeah, we're still, we're getting there. We still have lots to go in the final eight weeks of the year. Oh my God. No, no. Are there really only eight weeks left in the year? No, hold on a second. <laughs> what? I think I just stressed myself out. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, <sighs> Oh my god. This is like, well, technically we're like eight and a half weeks left of of the whole year. I thought we had ten weeks. What is, what? Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. Anyway, I don't know where the hell this year went, but um, yeah. Um, yeah. November wrap up. It's basically going to be all Christmas books. I'm just telling you that right now. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's basically going to be all Christmas books. Maybe I might be able to read the Finley Donovan arc that I got. The fact that I haven't even cracked that book open yet, it just goes to show how busy I am with everything else because the way... I need to know what happens next. And I actually got my hands on an advanced copy of El Cosmano's next book in the Finley Donovan series is insane to me. I really need to make the time for that. But I'm like, I got to make it through these books. (laughs) I got to make it through these books that are due back in like November 11th and November 15th. So anyway, until next week, which will definitely be Binger Cringe and maybe something else. I don't even know. I don't know. I'm trying to survive right now. We're just in survive mode. But until next week, remember, there are no bad hair days. You can catch up to the minute things going on in my life. And if you're here for the Hallmark things, uh, via Instagram and TikTok, both at Sackbun Studios, there is lots of new, um, and what there's new <laughs> items up in the shop, uh, mostly pertaining around Christmas. And there is now an Amazon storefront. I have an Amazon storefront and no, that's it. The Amazon, sorry, the Amazon storefront. Um, you can access and get these books in my must read book section. And that would be really great. You can find that in my link tree bio on Instagram and TikTok. So 
now that I've totally botched up this ending, remember, again, no matter days, I'll see you guys next time.